what people are really, their diet is seeking is fiber. Fiber makes you supple, makes your bowels supple, makes your, your vessels more supple, and thus your mind and your skin more supple. Welcome to the podcast for Healing Neurology, where we talk about everything that can help heal your neurology, which is really everything. Food, lifestyle, thinking and feeling patterns, environment in which you live and work, medical treatments, pharmaceuticals, nature, culture, and politics. There is no topic too big or too small. I'm Jillian Ehrlich, family nurse practitioner certified in Ayurveda and functional medicine, here with the amazing Jane Esselstyn, who is a nurse, researcher, mother, and teacher who's at the forefront of the plant-based movement. She presents her work, research, and high-energy demos around the world and on her new YouTube channel with her firecracker mom, Anne Esselstyn. Women, families, and community drive Jane's work. She's the host of the annual conference, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease for Women, which is in Cleveland, right? Yes. Place of both of our births, which is focused on the power of plants. Jane claims, quote, prevention is the new cure and the most powerful, relevant, and protective medicine available. Unquote. With full enthusiasm, Jane co-founded Well Now Camp. Uh, I know, so fun, so fun. An activity-filled creative escape for plant-based women warriors. Jane is an avid and inventive designer of plant-strong recipes and the co-author of the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook. She created the recipe sections of the number one New York Times bestseller, Plant Strong, and the Engine 2 Seven Day Rescue by Rip Esselstyn, her brother. And she is co-author of the Engine 2 Cookbook. And we have known each other a long time. You were my high school health teacher, and I have obviously never forgotten about you. So welcome, Jane. (laughs) It's so great to be here with you. And I want to say, I met you in Cleveland. Were you born in Cleveland? Yeah. Were you not born in Cleveland? I was actually born in London, love. You were? I I did not know that. my, My dad was finishing up his fellowship in London, and I was born... Uh, September 16th. And then I think we flew home on the 17th. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my mom had two little boys, like a one-year-old, two-year-old and a newborn. And they were like packed up, ready to go. I'm like, oh, she, she came out. So they had to fly <laughs> home with me. Oh my goodness. Anyway. That is fabulous. So do you get dual citizenship? Um, no, I, as a kid, I always wanted to, to do both, but somehow the U.S. didn't want you to, uh, something, something maybe not do that. Okay. And as a swimmer, I was a big swimmer and I was like, I could, sw- I could swim for England and maybe make the Olympics, but I can't do it in the States. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of looked into it, but I didn't. Yeah. But you still live in Cleveland now? We, yes, we are in Cleveland. Um, I live next door to my parents, so I'm just literally across, the, not across the street, next door to where I grew up. That's so great. Well, it's good to have you here today. And we are very excited to talk about plant-based diets. Well, thank you. It's exciting to be here talking with you. It's so funny to hear you are my student suddenly. I know. I'm learning so much from you. Oh, not 17 anymore. (laughs) Just in my mind. So what is a plant-based diet? What does that mean? Well, a whole food plant-based diet is what we really are proponents of and what we really prefer to um, talk about because a whole food plant-based diet is defined by food in its as close as possible to its natural form, like an apple, not apple juice, you know, all the time, uh-huh. or corn, not corn syrup, or, or uh-huh. you know, eating olives, not just a bunch of olive oil. I mean, there are some foods, obviously, that are not in this whole food. I mean, we take rice and we cook it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the reason I'm saying all that about being a whole, whole food based diet, because we eat, obviously, grains, greens, beans, berries, fruits, vegetables, all this stuff. So we eat pizza, we eat no cheese and stuff like that. But what and the difference between a whole food plant-based diet and like a vegan diet is that vegan sometimes has a, it's a philosophy. It's a whole way of thinking. It's a whole way of living that includes like not having leather, you know, on your clothing or, you know, around your home where you might use leather. Um, it's very animal rights based, which I'm pro, but um, I would not say that I'm, that's not my banner. Um, also, Vegan and even plant-based these days is kind of being hijacked by, if you will, junk food vegan or junk food plant-based. And that's just like 
intense coconut oil filled or palm oil filled like fake meats and burgers. Um, like there's this whole plant-based burger out these days that there's no plants in it. It's just isolates of this and that with oils of this and that and flavors of this and that with juice from this to make it look bloody and salt. And there's the fiber content of it, which cause fiber would reflect the amount of plant matter in, in it. And it didn't really have any. Oh, wow. Um, what can that huh. be? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's, um, so I think plant based is a little bit under fire with from other, uh, entities trying to glom onto its, its um, new rise to fame and acclaim lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, whole food plant-based is quite different than plant-based. And that's what, so we're, we're trying to really be clear about what we're doing because it's a, our, re, our, our angle comes from trying to, uh, we're working with initially with heart disease patients. And these heart disease patients ended up reversing their autoimmune disease. And these are autoimmune disease and heart disease patients ended up reversing their high, high blood pressure. And then they're, they have less incidence of, you know, all these lifestyle related diseases, mm-hmm. you know, common cancers. And I mean, on and on and on. It's just, it's this odd panacea, this whole food plant-based diet. So we try to just be clear and stick to our parameters of what that is, which is actually for us, it's um, no meat, no dairy, no added oil, Minimal salt, minimal sweet. And I say minimal because some people are like, they claim this SOS thing, which I've never said that, but they mean no sugar, oil, or salt. And Hmm. I use tamari, which is salty. And I use maple syrup, which is sweet. I mean, it tastes sugary, but because I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, elementally or down to the elements of it, what it is, it's, you know, C6, H12, O6. It is a sugar, but it's, Mm -hmm. um, it's not a refined, refined sugar. It's refined yeah. um, maple tree, right. sap, immune system, lymph, whatever I call it. From the Ayurvedic perspective, part of what we talk about with diet is that you want diet to be prasad or you want it to be kind of sacred food. Food can be sacred. And the closer it is to the sun, not the more sacred it is, but we want all of our food to have as much kind of prana or energy as possible. And so when it's closer to the sun, it has more energy like that. The sun comes right to the plants. The plants have chloroplasts that capture energy, the sun's energy and turn it into food. And then so it's only kind of two steps away for us to eat plants. But when it's animals it's actually going through the plants that then are eaten by the animals and then processed into the tissue so it's actually along. Oh, I had never heard it just described that way yeah that's, that's so that's so um yeah it's processed through other things as well as <laughs> through their bodies yeah. just created by the sun yeah. And then the other component is with processed foods. That's an interesting point you make about like these plant-based burgers that are mostly isolates as opposed to actual plants. Yeah. Because I do work with a lot of patients who, who do gluten-free. And so then they start doing gluten-free muffins, gluten-free cookies, and everything is just filled with sugar and oil to make up for the lack of gluten, the lack of texture and the lack of fiber. And, and egg whites and egg this and that. It's like all the gluten-free stuff is like filled with. If, if gluten was a big villain, like all people lived on for a millennia was beer and bread. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Beer and bread is what people lived on for ever. Yes. Some people, what is it like one or 2% of the, of the population has celiac, but mm-hmm. not everybody. And I do, do believe in sensitivities. Like some people have sensitivities to bananas and, and uh, lentils or whatever. We have that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we can be, one of those just because it's so I think over we have overexposure to it mm-hmm. you know, from like a bagel at breakfast to a sandwich at lunch and then pizza or pasta for dinner it's just it's like eating imagine if that was a green apple and you had it every morning and every lunch and every dinner you'd get like green apple sores in your body like stop giving me green apple <laughs> so variety variety is a big emphasis um yeah that's great I mean and and, and variety not just for exposure but also variety is great because you want to get the as you know, there's probably a great Ayurvedic rule around it or a guideline, but the more colors you're getting, the more phytochemicals and minerals and just all the good healthy stuff when you eat the whole rainbow. Just to pop back to gluten for a second, I think some of the concern about gluten and wheat is how we process it in the United States. We shoot it full of weird chemicals and we do some some kind of crazy processing. It's one of those things that's, again, kind of further from the sun. Oh, yeah. I have a number of patients who tolerate gluten in Italy or France and don't tolerate it in the U.S., 
So some of that is maybe related to policy stuff in the U.S. about how we process food. Yeah, I've heard that a couple times. And I also know when you're on vacation, everything tastes better. So (laughs) So true. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to discount. It's very real. Like I know I have some sensitivities to things and it's, they're very real. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not eating wonder bread or anything. I'm, I'm eating like Ezekiel. Uh-huh. I was eating Dave's killer bread for a while, but they just started adding oil to it, which is mm. me not eating it. I like certain rye breads, but it, mm-hmm. you know, just, I don't eat a lot of bread lately. So I, I just yeah. want like, I'm not really one to speak to that, but I know people do have sensitivities and I have heard that about other nations and how they make or they prepare and they process their wheat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. better. And so what are the kinds of foods that you eat? Like what are, what are some of the breakfasts you love? I don't love breakfast. Oh, <laughs> there's that. I like dinner for breakfast. I often like to have um, like a, sa- a savory breakfast. And I think people know what I'm talking about when I say that. Mm-hmm. Some people like have, I mean, a traditional like American breakfast would be eggs and bacon and, you know, savory cheesy grits or something. I'm just, I would never eat that. That's not me, but I'm saying that's, that's their pal is not seeking, Hey, it's breakfast. Happy birthday. Here's a muffin. Like it's having a piece of cake in the morning, uh-huh. you know, just uh-huh. the sweet thing with like sugar chunks and you're, ah. uh-huh. I never want to do that. I don't, I'm not hungry when I first wake up. Like, I think that there's, there's probably, you could probably tell me ayurvedically there's something, um, mm-hmm. in blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but it takes my, belly a little while to get hungry and mm-hmm. I don't feel hungry until mid-morning like 10 30 ish and then it's just this that classic like feeling and sound of hunger mm-hmm. and so since it's mid-morning I occasionally will have just a piece of fruit because I don't want to mm-hmm. trash what I want to have for lunch or something but if I'm home alone and I don't care about my schedule of eating that day I'll warm up some rice and beans last night I had we had a cubed up sweet potato parsnips and potatoes and onion in a, on a, you know, just in a pan, just baked. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll have some of that. And I might put, you know, some salsa on it if I feel it that way. Or if I want to put, if I feel like I want to have it be breakfasty, I might put some ketchup on it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really just uh, try to listen to my body. And for, you know, a long time, I was having breakfast like everybody else around me and how most of the world did. But I was like, I don't want that. I like dinner for breakfast. And I prefer it. And I like to have it late in the morning and maybe just even a piece of fruit. How about Great. You? I go back and forth. I think I, I think I feel like I'm still working it out. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember you, you didn't like vegetables. No, I never ate vegetables. Oh my gosh. That's right. Oh my God. I stopped when I was four or five years old and I ate no vegetables. Like I thought I had variety because I ate cheese sandwiches, macaroni and cheese, grilled cheese, Bagels and cream cheese and cereal. I thought, I have five different things I eat. I'm so happy you made it to adult. I know. When I went out to Evergreen State College when I was 19 years old, and I thought I was going to study environmental education, um, the only program that was open was an ecological agriculture program. And on Fridays, all of our classes were at the farmhouse. We did bugs. We did soil chemistry. We did politics of farming, history of farming around the world. It was potluck. They would say things like, Jillian, I brought you this salad that was picked with nasturtiums and I made it with wild crafted greens. And I just felt like I couldn't not eat it, but I had no idea what I was eating. Nasturtiums for um, eating flowers and <laughs> and I would <laughs> put these things in my mouth and be like, well, it's not terrible. And there was so much love around it. There was so much love and sweetness. It really expanded my understanding of what was edible in the world. Like there was a lot of things you could eat. How lucky you got exposure. Yeah, it was a wild transition. Ray for evergreen. Yes, Ray for evergreen. So what kind of lunches and dinners do you like? I think they're kind of the same thing. Like I will eat the same thing dinner. And I think many people do that. Pack a lunch for the next day from leftover dinner. So, gosh, you know, if my husband and I are home alone, we, it's so simple. And even having one kid home, we sort of step up the game a little bit. And that's something that because my work is around cooking and recipes and food, where I'm oftentimes doing little experiments with my family. Mm-hmm. But I, so I won't talk about that stuff. The go-to meals that our, like our family loves, that we love, that we like to have, that are easy enough that we can do, are easy enough that I'm familiar with them. Like someone might say to me, oh, Jane, oh, I just do my quick and easy, you know, chicken divan. And I'm like, mm-hmm. What is chicken divan? And do you put on a biohazard suit to hold the chicken? Like, I wouldn't know how to begin. So uh-huh. they're like, oh, 
God, how do you do what you do? Well, I feel the same way about them with their chicken divan. So uh-huh. one of my favorite dishes would be just so, I've already mentioned it, is rice and beans. Like we really eat that. I mean, we, we could easily live in, I don't know, Latin America or wherever mm-hmm. they eat rice and beans like this. I have a 50 pound bag of rice and we just scoop it out and cook it up and always have rice in the fridge that's cooked. And I mean, it rarely goes bad because we eat it in so much. And we've got, you know, black beans, kidney beans, pinto beans, all kinds of beans all the time, dried beans. Sometimes Brian cooks beans. Are you, oh, this is a podcast, but look at this great pot. It's one of these like, little pots that, you know, you can see someone a million years ago cooking um, the, uh, their beans out of that. God, that's amazing. It's a bean pot from mm-hmm. Red Porto. I'm not sponsored by the way. Didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> um, so rice and beans. And if it wasn't, if it doesn't always rice and beans, it's quinoa or we'll have farro occasionally. Love this teriyaki tofu dish I make that, I mean, the kids love it. And so I make it a lot and it's just, it's become easy. Like you just make the teriyaki from our cookbook, mm-hmm. actually it's right there, the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease cookbook. Uh-huh. No, 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 the Engine 2 cookbook, pardon me. And whenever I cook it, I, I don't overcook like too hot I, or too long. I overcook, like I overprepare. Like I make enough for 12 servings, even if there's only going to be eight of us. So we'll have leftovers. So always, I mean, every dinner, every, every night, we always have broccoli. It's one of our weird things. We always have steamed broccoli. I, sometimes mm-hmm. I boil it to death. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. other greens, some other, some other salads, some, you know, we always have an oranges or pears or whatever fruit is out. I'm, I'm very conscious of getting have my kids have a little vitamin C with each meal just to help mobilize the iron. They're all athletes. So rice and beans, teriyaki tofu. Um, I have called a lightning bowl, which is this great, like it's rice noodles with just oh, a ton of just really chiffonade chopped kale and this sauce is like lightning. It's just mm-hmm. this lime and jalapeno and rice vinegar and tamari and maple syrup. It's just like Shazam! Wow, that sounds so good. Lightning bolt. And, you know, we love polenta um, with all kinds of stuff on it. We do a lot of Buddha bowls, you know, uh, sweet potatoes and rice or quinoa and steamed greens. And, 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 and just the secret we have found is having sauces and salsas and some sort of, um, for lunch, some spreads mm-hmm. that you like. And we have a great variety that we love from a romesco type sauce, maybe, you know, sweet red peppers to uh, ginger peanut sauces to curried sauces and hummus. And the, the hummus, just like a million different hum. I call them my hummai because mm-hmm. there's so many hummuses these days. So <laughs> we have our hummai. Uh-huh. Plural, plural, being plural of hummus, plural. that is. Yes. Um, and you know, we caramelize onion hummus and beet hummus and curried hummus and Thai, uh, Thai sort of a Thai peanut hummus and sriracha hummus and blah, blah, blah. there's so many different hummus. Hummus. Um, to and these uh, are all like chickpea mixes that then you add spices to. Ground up chickpeas. Or, or, well, I'll just take our hummus and I'll add some flavor to that just to, to oh. make it. Better. But some of these sauces you make from scratch, and some of them you can buy. You know, get components of it like or just salsa, like a jar mm-hmm. of salsa, your favorite salsa. Mm-hmm. Okay. It makes all the difference in the world being able to flavor these, what people would say, like these basic components of a whole food plant-based, like these bowls have, you know, you, there's so many pictures on Instagram of people making beautiful bowls. I think mine's, ours are beautiful because they're really what we eat. They're not crafted or curated. It's just a ton of sweet potato, a ton of this, a ton of that, rat, tat, tat. We've got potato bar and we just, you know, a bunch of, a huge, big pile of potatoes and whatever else we can put on that. Anything. Huh. Sometimes kids are like, I want to put some ketchup on it tonight. And I'm like, you go. Don't be healthy French fry. <laughs> um, so and we had some Indian type flavored food. I'm not, I'm not excellent at making the Indian flavors work with no oil, but I keep trying. Mm-hmm. And a chick, like chickpea masala-ish thing over potato, over the cubed things we had last night. Um, I'm trying to think what food we had recently. And well, chili and Brian makes amazing my husband, Brian, makes an amazing um, chili with mm-hmm. beans and lentils. and That's a great winter food. Looking at the oh. snow outside your windows, that's a great yeah. winter food. Yeah, she has, she has and soups. And I love, and I, we make biscuits and have them with soups. And just kind of what everyone else eats in some ways, but just not, no cheese and no meat. <laughs> 
or not a lot of grits. <laughs> and it's great because what you're talking about, you know, when you think about it, um, I think that there's so much talk in the, especially in the functional medicine world about what you should or shouldn't eat and about how grains are bad. There's a whole kind of like grains are bad, but really our neurologist, Dr. Eileen Ruhoy here talks repeatedly. I can't remember how many times I've heard her say glucose is the brain's favorite food. So the only thing it eats. Yeah. Yeah. So you really need that. P6H1206 is what. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Glucose. The glucose is. And it's the only thing your brain eats. And if you're only eating paleo, like meat and grease, you're giving your brain the most screwed up version of that. Your body has to like glom it together itself. And it's, it don't, it only does it when it has to. And it's, it's like a, a sort of emergency, whatever you, you want to just get your body what it needs. And you're going to be so clear eyed and clear headed, giving yeah. your brain glucose. Feeding your brain glucose. So, and the meals that you're talking about then. So then the other thing, um, the other, I think, obstacle or challenge that a lot of folks run into is really getting enough protein. If you're not going to have meat and cheese. I know you just gave me a crazy look. Yeah. A crazy look because I mean this in all honesty and I'm not trying to be confrontational, but have you ever in your clinical experience ever run across any human with a protein deficiency? No, I, there may be, there may be one, but, uh, very hey. screwy. You know, I see a lot of advanced gastroparesis and yes. Okay. So that, and but that, not for a regular person walking around. Right. But how many people have you heard of who have like constipation or who have, um, Oh God, what's it called? Outpouching of the intestines. It's called diverticulosis. diverticulosis. That's from it's the, one of the most common things. And it's just, that is, you ate yourself into ballooning out portions of your intestine because you pushed too hard because you didn't eat enough fiber disease and illness. We've got, <laughs> protein deficiency doesn't exist. It is, it is maddening how this has become an obsession because there's no doctor that's saying to anybody, hmm, increase your protein because, mm-hmm. for whatever, and be, clinically be able to back it up. It is a burden on your kidneys, and you mm-hmm. know that too much protein trashes yeah. the kidneys, overwhelms yeah. them, overburdens them. And <clears throat> what people are really, their diet is seeking is fiber. Fiber makes you supple, makes your bowels supple, makes your, your vessels more supple, and thus your mind and your skin more supple. It, it's interesting to hear this about protein because we get that's the first question we get, and it's the easiest answer because we're like, there's no such thing as a protein deficiency unless you are a child. Like you've seen these um, you children who have distended bellies, like quash or core. Mm-hmm. That mean, it means like mom had a baby and not feeding the other baby and not feeding me. Like, so literally mm-hmm. a child starving. And when you're starving, you're not getting enough of anything, including protein. Mm-hmm. And our body, and you know this from taking all your biochemistry and stuff, our body would never leave the task of finding enough protein to our diet. Our bodies recycle and reuse and remake so much protein all the flipping time. Mm-hmm. And um, just like the way that our body from a, a paleo diet can make glucose as it's needed for the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of recycling of it. And um, it just, there's, not, there's not, a, not, a, not a deficiency out there that I've come across. And I've had three kids being you know plant-based and I have three kids who are collegiate athletes and they all eat plant-based and some of them have NCAA records in their, in their, um, with their swimming. And if anything, it's a leg up, they're not inflamed. They recover quickly. They are unburdened by extra weight. Um, and, and you're just telling me about your son's height. So certainly this oh, is not I an guess. impediment to growth. I'm, I'm five ten. My husband's six, two, maybe. Mm-hmm. But our kid, our kids is six seven. Hello, where did that come from? Vegetarians have historically been reported to be taller. Huh. Um, and but this is like we were like, uh, when's this going to stop? Like in high school, I thought at one point maybe he has a tumor, but he has no stretch marks or anything, so I know his body knew he was going to get that big. And our daughter's six feet. That kind of makes sense. It's you know, com- but then we have one regular size kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, have, we have the variety pack. They're mm-hmm. four, they're our youngest two are 14 months apart and 14 inches apart. Oh, that's great. And then your, the Engine 2 diet, Rip, is uh, 
Like, I think that's part of what he talks about is as an athlete and a firefighter that he's making it all work on a plant-based diet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Engine two is my brother, my older brother, Rip. People think that I'm his mom because I have white hair and I'm like, really? My older brother. Yeah. (laughs) It's because I don't dye my hair and I will never dye my hair. But anyway, Mm -hmm. engine two. Yeah. Rip did, uh, his first book, The Engine 2 Diet, was about just being whole food plant-based with his firehouse and getting his, his, his brothers there at the firehouse healthy and just encouraging people to give it a go. And it was, it's good. It's, very, it's in very accessible, like, firefighterish language. And then he went on to have three more books, um, mm-hmm. uh, Plant Strong, The Seven Day Rescue, and The Engine 2 Cookbook. And for all those books, I did the recipes, and it was so much fun. Oh, it's so great. What oh a fun God. time. Yeah. And um, and how I got into that. You asked, you brought it up. You brought up engine too. Yeah. I did. I did. Because we were t- just talking about how healthy and strong and capable a body can be on a whole foods plant-based diet. Yeah. And um, engine two is, it's a book obviously, but also engine two rip has made a, um, an immersion out of this engine, engine two. And so we have these immersive times, like we, the whole engine two team, we go to, um, we've gone to a variety of places, but most recently we were in Sedona, Arizona and Black Mountain, North Carolina. And then we're going to uh, go to Silver Bay, New York on Lake George. But in these places, we take over the kitchen and mm-hmm. people come. There's usually roughly like 100 people at an immersion. And for the week or you know, five days to seven days, um, we have them, I'm saying air quotes here, in jail with us because <laughs> they're eating our food and we're doing a lot of sitting down on our bums and listening to lectures and stuff in the morning. But then in the afternoon, it's very active when we're doing all this activity. Actually, you know, we exercise in the morning before we sit, then have breakfast and all this lecture activity and then outdoor activity. And people are thriving. And we're all, all the whole team, we're all plant-based and have been for decades. And, you know, we're all healthy and thriving. And people are just amazed at how good they feel even after three days. People huh. are getting off their high blood pressure meds that they have been on for 15 years, eight years, six years. Yeah. And never thought they'd be off of them. And they're getting, they're having their insulin or getting off their diabetes meds. And and on day three, day three is this weird magical day. We always joke like, Ooh, okay, you guys, here we go. Bodies on the ground today. What's going to happen? Because (laughs) uh, people get, you know, from being on any of those meds, as you would, as you will know, they suddenly get really hypo glycemic because their body's absorbing, able to take in all their glucose and they're taking all these meds to push it down. And they're like, suddenly there's a wool. Oh God. (laughs) And and if they're taking all this blood pressure med, they are, they don't need to because their, their vessels are getting more supple and responsive. And it's just, they're, we're scared they're going to pass out chip or tooth. Wow. Yeah. I can't, yeah. Can't have that happening at an immersion. (laughs) No, no. Gotta keep them there. So how do people kind of wrap up that experience? What do they take? Have you had feedback kind of like, you know, four, six, 12 months later? That is such a great question. Of course, you, the neurologist, are going to ask it because it's so wrapped into human behavior. Yeah. And, and uh, what, do we, what do we take home? And um, part of what my husband, Brian, has brought to this whole team and the whole conversation is that, okay, what are the hurdles? What are the challenges? Mm -hmm. the the hardest thing is not being here and doing this, you know, afternoon hike with us or this eating your first nasturtium or whatever you're eating. Um, Mm -hmm. Kidding. We don't eat nasturtiums. Maybe people are eating kale for the first time. Uh The biggest challenge is when you get dropped off at the airport, that's going to be the hardest thing. And then when you get off the airplane at your home, and then when you turn right out of the airport and you're going by all that fast food, and when you are in your home and there you are with all the food you used to eat, and all the friends you used to eat it with and the family you used to eat it with and the church you used to go to or the temple you used to go to or the or soccer game you used to, whatever, all these patterns mm-hmm. weren't how, ha, ha, ha. So people who are able to take it on for some reason, just, they had to go through a couple of weeks of just being clear, 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 strong, strong, strong. And then they're, it's like coming out of the clouds. They're fine. They do great. Uh-huh. Yes. But some people who can't get up and out of that rough, it's just, I don't know the addictive nature of our minds or I'm not addictive, but our, our habitual tendencies that don't let us break out of it, like get through that temptation. 
because it's a remarkable quick thing, just like putting that, I don't know what it would be, um, grilled cheese in your mouth or that bite of. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could give you a number of examples of things that I've eaten that I think, why am I doing this? Yeah. I mean, but food has like got this, it's semi-orgasmic for people. They're like, I just need it. And like that moment of swallowing it and it's gone. Like it's from your lips to like the back of your throat. Well, that seems to dictate our minds and then our bodies and our behaviors and our health. And so if you can hang in there long enough, you can get through it. I mean, what you're talking about really is the path of practice. Eating one plant-based meal is not a body going to make. What can mm-hmm. you? <laughs> I knew I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, and what? and there are going to be kind of ups and downs and things that meals that don't go well or meals that t- don't taste good. And, you, and part of it seems like you really kind of have to keep hanging in there. It's such a process. It's a process like anything else. I mean, like any any like sort of therapeutic process is getting this really healing practice into your kitchen and your fork and your plate and your mouth. If you're enjoying this show, please be sure to share it with your friends and rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out our other shows as well. We talk about everything. You can get all the details of our clinic and the services we offer through our website, centerforhealingneurology.com. And remember to check out Jane Esselstyn's website at janeesselstyn.com for all of her upcoming work, including Well Now Camp. Also, let me take this opportunity to tell you about the Seattle Cider Company, which sponsors our, our Party Fish Media production company. Not your standard cider, Seattle Cider Company bridges the gap between wine and beer with flavorful small batch cider, bringing true craft cider back to Seattle and across the country. Seattle Cider Company's year-round and seasonal offerings break the mold of overly sweet cider, showcasing the incomparable flavor of Washington apples. Naturally gluten-free and made from a custom blend of fresh-pressed, locally-grown apples, Seattle Cider Company's products are handcrafted with all natural ingredients and never from concentrate. Seattle Cider products are currently available throughout Washington, Oregon, Alaska, Idaho, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nevada, Missouri, Massachusetts, Colorado, North Carolina, South Carolina, Montana, and Pennsylvania. Visit our tasting room locally, The Woods, at 4660 Ohio Avenue South in Seattle. And for more information, visit seattlecidercompany.com or follow Seattle Cider Company on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Seattle Cider Co. Were you raised plant-based? No. We always ate really healthy. Like, we always ate fibrous things. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. cereals were always, like, just grape nuts and shredded wheat and you know, we didn't, ha- we had skim milk. We never had eggs. Our peanut butter was the natural peanut butter. You know, that, that, that it separates naturally and uh-huh. never like that peanut butter frosting. Like, you know how Jif and Skippy, that's just like hydrogenated oil, sugar. Oh, and some peanut flavoring. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh-huh. so we always had like healthier food. And um, I became a vegetarian when I was 15 of my own uh, doing. And mm-hmm. Um, so How we, come? cause I was training in, I was a big swimmer growing up and I was training in California in Mission Viejo for the summer with the national champion swim team. Mm. I was living with a family cause they would house us with families. I was staying with this family who they were lovely people, but they just got generic meat. I know that sounds gross, but, uh, the, the generic label at the store, you know, like some mm-hmm. market brand or whatever. It's like the hamburger meat that I was just used to growing up at home. It was like, you know, red with little flecks of white in it. This was so white that it was like, like almost an orange sherbet colored orange. Uh It was just so fatty and they would cook it. And I was like, I was, I was grossed out about it. Even as a 15 year old, but like a greasy burger, that would be appealing. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, this is really gross. So I stopped eating meat out there and I'd never even heard of beans. I'd never even heard of legumes. So like, Oh, you're not eating meat. Well, then you need to have like a, bur- a bean burrito. So thank God I was in California. So they were giving me bean burritos. And like, have you tried hummus? I'm like, no, what's hummus? Like I hadn't even heard of it. So I came home from California after training all summer and stuff. And I was, you know, yes, I was tan. Yes, I was, you know, swimming in like a champ. But I was also a vegetarian. And my huh. parents were like, what? And they were sort of like, whatever. Uh-huh. And just, meanwhile, concurrently, nothing to do with my tendencies. My dad was starting to look at his practice which he's a you know general surgeon at the cleveland clinic for a you know a million years and he was like i'm doing nothing for the next unsuspecting victim i really want to help 
people not come in here with breast cancer and all this just stuff. I'm just, I'm a carpenter. I'm taking it out and I'm sewing the Mac up, taking mm-hmm. it out, sewing the Mac up. So he started to look into sort of epidemiologically what was going on and saw that there's many cultures without any of these diseases. So he, it wasn't the air, it wasn't the water. It was what their most intimate contact with their environment was. And it was mm. food. Mm-hmm. So he really had um, this hunch that became his research. And that was to put his breast cancer patients on the whole food plant-based diet and pulled the data out of the clinic and did some research. He, they started to have such amazing results in their cardiac numbers. You know, mm-hmm. cancer is a little bit lo- longer, harder um, boat to, to ferry to turn around. But the cardiac numbers were like, mm, almost immediate. And it was amazing. They were just plummeted into beautiful range. And that's how we mm-hmm. then got onto this heart disease stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer. So no, I did not grow up whole food plant-based, but we became that pretty much when I was around, I mean, I was 15, but my family was all on board by the time, by the time I was like 18, 19. So when you talk to people about kind of making this transition, eating a whole foods plant-based diet, and when you have your immersion groups, how do you, how do you help people make that transition? Like, what do you tell people about their kitchens and about where they get their food and what kind of food? And, you know, it's one thing to eat a plate that's just kind of been put in front of you. How do you walk people through that process? Well, you know what? I guess you brought, up, you brought up a point that is really interesting that I didn't even realize we had this education point wrapped in is that every meal is a build your own. And because we oh. don't, I mean, this is not like, welcome, here's your plate, madame, monsieur. <laughs> hey, get in line for the um, food bar because you're going to get a plate. We'll have like engine two. We'll make me we'll make our own burgers, you know, so uh-huh. burger, for example, and people have a burger and they're welcome to have like, uh, maybe a underneath bun, but we encourage them not to have two buns because we want them to fill up with other foods as well. And this is a time to experiment. You're literally at this place in jail with us with a ton of food and you can eat as much as you want. And so they have like a burger and then they put on lettuce and tomato and onion and maybe some relish and maybe some hummus and maybe some, so they're just like building this wild food and they'll get a big salad next to it. And then we'll have a side of um, wedge fries, you know, just potato wedges that we've cooked dry, no oil, obviously. And what do you want to put on all those? So you're having a ton of food, but they're figuring out what to do themselves. And everything is pretty easy to do. Like I can add lettuce, I can add tomato, I can add onion, I can get a potato and cook it like that. Okay, I can do this and this, this. Oh, what's the burger recipe? There's usually like only one or maybe two, a sauce in recipe that you're trying to figure out because it goes on top of something. Or mm-hmm. like the burger would be like, you know, I'm having a burger night, but people would make their own burgers, hopefully. Mm-hmm. To begin with, anyway, a lot of our things are are like build your own. You know, frica is a, a new grain out there. Here's frica and quinoa. You're gonna put this bean or that bean on top, and then you're gonna put these salad bar things on top, and then you're gonna come around. We'll have a little soup, and they'll mm-hmm. have some soup with that, and then they'll we have a whole toppings area that has you know sriracha and nutritional yeast and um, different spices and different flavored vinegars and mustards and just. Top it how you want. So we're training them. This is how you can eat, and it's easy. And you can shop at any flipping store out there. Mm. You can. And if, you know, because an organic is preferred, obviously, but if you can't mm-hmm. afford it, don't go eating, you know, marshmallows because you can't afford an organic apple. Like, <laughs> get, get an apple that's not organic if that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So that makes it actually really accessible. Yeah. Like, what are some of your favorite kitchen appliances? Like, what are the things that you use a lot of? Oh, I drive my uh, rice cooker like a bat out of hell. I don't, I, I, that thing is that works overtime. I mean, I'll, pu- I'll put rice in in the morning before I go out and come back at night. <clears throat> and if the rice is done, I'm ready to go. Just like throw some beans in the sink under hot water and throw in some salsa or whatever you have in the fridge. And you've got rice and beans. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that a lot. I even do it overnight. Sometimes I'll put some steel cut oats in there. So in the morning, you know, we've got kids who are swimming at five in the morning or you know, we're getting up a little after that. So we all get some steel cut oats. So the rice cooker is great. You just, it has, it has all these different settings. And one is called porridge. And I'm like, okay, I'll put on the porridge for the morning. <laughs> night, night. Um, <laughs> and um, so a rice cooker for sure. And I love and use my Cuisinart like mad. And I say Cuisinart because it's really what it is. It's, the, it's a food processor and it's, it's got the, the flat bottom, big steel blade. Some people have a Vitamix that works well. I just, 
the depth of the Vitamix is not what I need. I'm not making juicy. No, not juicies. What are they called? Smoothies? Smoothies. No, that's your mouth is what your body really needs you to process the food. If you have teeth and you can use them, eat your food. Smoothies just, it ends up being just a dump of, I know it's, it's just, it's food that's been pre-chewed and your tongue has got such an important role in creating like nitric, nitric oxide, which is what makes your vessels have the suppleness to release nitric oxide. And all these little nooks and crannies have the nitrates in there and they become the night. My dad, I, I, I always forget the role of it. My dad has said it a million times to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, you eat your food and the nitrates and the and the facultative anaerobes. And your tongue creates yeah. the nitrate and your stomach becomes nit- nitrate and then nitric acid. Anyway, whatever it is, nitric oxide has attached to your tongue in some way. And and so chewing is great. Also, you know, the alpha amylase in your in your saliva is what breaks down carbohydrates and you know, you're we need that. And it it is sort of a glucose dump sometimes of you're like, oh I only put one apple in, but still one apple and one swallow just to shoot up the all the you know, eat your food, chew it, it's how it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I like my Cuisinart. Well, I'm getting mm-hmm. a side carried away there. Um, and I love parchment paper. Parchment what, do you paper. Use, what do you use that for? Or how do you use parchment paper? Every day, all day. It's, um, I line my pans with it because I don't, you don't use grease on our pans and mm-hmm. it makes things brown and you don't have to clean oh. it afterwards. And I use it to light our wood stove. <laughs> it's great. Um, and then we love, I have these, uh, these little rubber spatulas called, it's a Tovalo. T O V O L O. Again, I'm not sponsored by them. I wish I were mm-hmm. all the time, but they, it's a, it's a rubber spatula with two different end options. And one mm-hmm. is like, can really get into like the square squared off corners. And one of them is just a good spreader. So you can like get every, it's like fingers. It's so good. What else do I love? Oh, a really good chef knife. A really good chef knife is, is key. Makes you, when you have a good knife, you want to chop and you want to cook and, and then really good food. Yeah. I mean, good ingredients, good ingredients. That's great. Powerful ingredients. Do you have any recommendations for people who have families that like where one, one adult kind of member or one teenager wants to eat cheeseburgers every night and people are trying to kind of start including more whole foods, plant-based eating? Um, I have to say that my... Our kids have always been uh, vegetarian, vegan, uh, plant-based. Growing up, they had to like they had to make their way, and so they go to the occasional birthday party and have cheese pizza and cake, and come home like, oh, what was that? And it's I mean, fine. You got to make your way. You got to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they never had meat. And they never really had milk, but they would have would bump into dairy here and there, and just really greasy stuff sometimes. And now they steer clear of it but they were exposed to what we ate and prepared all the time and a lot of how I prepared the food when they were growing up was kind of like if you will I'm not promoting Chipotle or Subway but in the way that those kind of fast casual stores like you can choose what you want as you go down like oh I like I for example we would make nori rolls you know nori sushi rolls you know rice Uh nori sheets with rice yeah so the seaweed and you would roll up kind of stuck inside like carrots or rice or tofu or I'm, I'm apologizing for, uh-huh. for name for it but um so we would, we would do a roll your own night and I would put out the you know sushi sheets nori sheets and we put it on brown rice and we'd have you know red peppers mangoes scallions cucumbers all these things that we'd have and then was you know samari and pickle ginger and wasabi mm-hmm. and my husband and I would make these big like filled things all these vegetables and our, our youngest daughter's like oh that's what we're doing and she would do that our son would be like, hmm, he would just put on rice and he'd put on, he'd go and he'd find some sea salt, put it on there. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right, I don't know where he got that. <laughs> and um, and he rolled it up and then we had our one daughter would just get a bowl and put rice in it. Uh-huh. So like, that's how our nori went. It was like uh-huh. from everything to nothing, but that's uh-huh. how it would go. And now everybody loves really yummy vegetable packed nori. And I actually discovered that my son, one, a girl in his class rolled nori for everybody in class one day, like for her birthday, she wanted to have a nori rolling thing, which I think is really amazing and progressive for 
Cleveland, Ohio. And this is like in third grade. And she brought, so everyone had their own little salt little things at their place. So that's how we learned about the salt from his friend, his birthday uh-huh. And he got brought it home, the salt. So I was like, all right. It's amazing huh. how kids will learn and mimic what they kind of think is cool. And you know, yeah. she made it that way. So I'm sort of thankful. Anyway, um, so we would do, we would do just the variety like that. We would, in, um, in some ways it was like being kosher, like at home, it was always whole grains. It was always beans. It was you know, not, nothing was greasy, cheesy, meaty. And but when they went out, they had to make their way. And they, and nowadays, you know, with kids with their gluten issues and their dairy issues and vegetarian issues, there's always sort of a way to make it happen. Um, but I will say that I grew up, I was in my teens in a, you know, eating a standard American diet ish and then not doing so. So I know that it can be hard and I know there's a resistance and I know that I, like I didn't have, I wanted to change. So if you have a teenager or somebody who doesn't want to change, I wouldn't try to push hard. I'd say like, I'm meat, you know, and meatless Mondays in your mind, just mm-hmm. make, make some, you know, pasta with red sauce. It is not always known that that's a vegan meal. Like it, it is. <laughs> uh-huh. and if we say like we're having, you know, we're ha- just say like we're having spaghetti tonight. I was, I was late. Any meatballs? No, I don't. I didn't saw any meat. Like, just fine. They can put whatever they want on top of that, but they're having mostly plants that night. And, you know, you can, chili is a great meal and you can make it without meat and, or you can you know, have a little meat on the side that you've cooked also and your kid can put some meat in their chili. But just meeting them halfway sometimes um, and without pushing your agenda works mm-hmm. for some people mm-hmm. and, or they know it, they're starting to feel better because they're eating better. Mm-hmm. Some people are just never want to change and you, they have to want to like, they have to want to make the change in order for it to happen. And if you present yeah. too much information, like you're going to die if you eat a bite of cheese, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Make too many, maybe you'll, you know, compromise your health and mm-hmm. your immune system and give you pimples and you know, whatever. It really depends on family to family. Some kids are just wired to be like, my mom and dad need to get healthier. So we're eating really healthy at home and they're mm-hmm. on board. Mm-hmm. Like that's wired. Some kids are like, eh, I'm giving mm-hmm. you double fingers up in the fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to eat that. That's, that's, you know, that's a load of yuckiness. And they'll want to go out to get a burger every night and they can just be like, all right, fine. But you got to start paying for yourself because we're buying healthy food for our home. You got to get a job. So you're going to eat your you know, junk food or whatever the family structure can handle and I mean every household's a little different in how you support your kids it's it's an amazing idea to kind of picture so many different options so that people can really participate in their meals so your nori roll bar was an amazing way to think about part of the problem is that when you're a kid if you're just handed a plate of food right. then when you grow up and you go off wherever you go when you leave your home you don't have a good sense about how to put food together, or if you're just buying junk food or you're getting takeout and you're picking takeout, it's still just kind of being delivered to you. So if you have options with different condiments where you're building your bowl or you're building your plate, then you start and you be, you check in with your body before you, that's that. I think that process is really important where you check in with your body. How hungry am I? How much do I want to eat? Which things do I want to eat? What am I craving? That's right. And it, and it put you in it, in it without, saying it you know you're educating your family you're educating yourself your spouse your partner your guests and how to how to make how to build their own food like you are in the driver's seat and you're going to make decisions about your own health that are going to help you make good you know good choices and that all the choices here on the table are pretty healthy you know if it's if it's build your own nori if it's build your own potato bar build your own buddha bowl build your own burrito bar i mean mm-hmm. everything Everything has options because you can always have a little tiny, a tiny bowl of cheese with your three guests. They have to share mm-hmm. that little bit of cheese. <laughs> and, you know, you can uh-huh. have a little bit of something like, hey, we're having a build your own burrito bar. Can you guys bring the ground beef? Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're mostly vegans, but could you bring it if you guys want some? Oh, so they feel like they're bringing in like this, like mm-hmm. toxic dead thing. <laughs> and my five-year-old did look at me this week and was like, wait, you have to kill the cow to get the burger? And I was like, yeah, that, that is how it works. And he was like, really? It was like this moment of kind of realization about what happened to yeah. make the food. That convinces some kids. And um, 
I would say like right now, if you did it last week, this is a good week to be like, do you want to try to make a, a burger that's made from beans? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the page in my book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. SOB burger or the handstand burger. Okay. Got it. SOB or the, what's the other one? Handstand. Handstand. Perfect. When we think about steps for kind of eating closer to the sun, when we think about steps for kind of like having, there's the steps of our body moving our tongue around, um, like Ayurveda talks about digestion starts with thinking about the food. And that's why it's so important to actually smell the food before you eat it um, as part of the cooking is because it actually starts triggering the neurological system, the body for kind of what you're going to be digesting. It creates hunger. It creates all those hormonal signals that food is coming. It prepares the body. So the body from the mouth all the way down is starts to get prepared to release digestive juices in order to intake this food. And then the mouth is this other process And even sitting down, you know, sitting down at a table where you're having multiple things on your plate um, and then you're deciding how much do you want to eat of what kinds, how many toppings, how many spices. Those spices also really are for the digestive components. And then you're doing the process of intaking and digesting. So, you know, when I first contacted you about this, I wanted to talk about like food, love and community. Um, all wrapped in together. We've been talking about it. So this community, the idea that we're sitting together for dinner, that we're not necessarily on our phones, that we're not watching television, that we're not doing anything but kind of listening to what our bodies are telling us and then listening to what other people are talking about in the day to digest your food well. Does that play a big role in kind of how you eat? Oh, yeah. I mean, the mornings, no, because we don't eat as a family in the morning. Kids are up and out at five and they're, you know, my daughter every night makes this overnight oats, like just oats and berries and oat milk or walnuts and stuff in a jar. I mean, I think it's kind of gross. Loves it. And I'm like, Ooh, that's not my brand. Again, it's the sweet breakfast thing. Um, so oats are so mushy, but she does it. And I guess a lot of other girls on the swim team are now also bringing their overnight oats. And I, and I don't know if it's the trend that someone else was also doing and they saw Bainan doing it or, or how it got picked up. Uh-huh. I, I just love that they're doing this healthy start. I mean, oats are such nice and anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Um, and lunch wise, my husband and I will just sort of catch what we, you know, what we can in between working at home. Mm-hmm. We both fortunately work at home, but dinner is a big time. We all together as a family. And if it's just the two of us, or if we have all the kids home or however, or my parents are next door, they'll come over. And mm-hmm. it definitely is. I mean, our family is all about food and mm-hmm we commune as much as possible and mm-hmm. we do so because of love and sometimes you're in tough it's a tough thing but you're going to get through it it's usually something crazy that's going on and it's kind of fun and a moment to be together food traditionally is a time to be together oh yeah oh yeah and we were just talking about before this started about how intimacy is where we do our deepest work so this is both the intimacy of the relationships with each other, with our family and our community, but also the intimacy of, as you said, when we first started, our food is really our most intimate contact with the external material world. It's just literally kind of smeared along the inside of our digestive tract. Yeah, of our environment. It's like, it's we, the environment becomes us. We become the environment. Like our ecology is us. Like, c'est moi. Um, yes, c'est moi. It's me. Yes. Absolutely. It's all so related. And I love the Ayurvedic concept of eating closer to the sun. I had never heard that before, which I think is so huh. beautiful. I mean, I think paleo is, I want to say a nice thing first. So paleo has done the nice stuff as far as getting people off of processed foods, you know, out of the drugstore or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, chips, candy bars and just cheese whiz and dairy. I mean, that's been great. And that's a huge, the huge things to not eat. And they have some root vegetables, which I think are awesome to eat, but the amount of like bacon and beef and stuff. It's just, you know, our paleo ancestors were not eating that stuff. They're, they were not, I mean, they were not catching big beasts every day and feeding the whole tribe. They mm-hmm. were eating high fiber foods. They had so, I mean, when you find those, um, I don't know the name of the proper name, but like the, the guys frozen in the glaciers, like the ice guy, ice man. Uh-huh. Look in their stomach and they look in their gut and they look in the pouch of food they're carrying. Mm-hmm. Like they're eating like, what we mow down every afternoon in the summer. Like they're eating grass and roots and bulbs and just, they have more fiber in their stomach than we eat in like a week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're eating stuff that they probably couldn't break down. And they were probably eating like, you know, you see a dog eating grass. You're like, dude, what are you doing? That's not like, 
it's going to go right through you. I'm sure we were doing like a lot of that as humans, uh-huh. eating stuff to keep the hunger at bay and hoping that we could get whatever we could out of whatever we could break down. But our microbiome and our gut is just made to, it feasts on that high, the fiber you can't break down. I just knowing that we have always eaten that much stuff. And if we could catch a hare, if you could catch a deer, we're like, wow, you probably eat, had to eat the whole thing then and there that day. Mm-hmm. Rot or whatever. Maybe you had techniques to smoke and salt things back then. I'm thankful for paleo for that reason. And I got off track. Eating plants gives everyone a chance in a healthy life. What's next on your docket? Where are you headed next? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I have a l- couple things coming up that are really exciting. Every March here in uh, Cleveland, I host uh, a, v- a conference for women. This year, it's called Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease and Cancer for Women at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute, March 7th. We have some wonderful presenters, um, Colin Campbell mm-hmm. from Cornell. He wrote the China Study, and he's sort of Albert Einstein of nutrition. Dr. Christy Funk is coming. Mm-hmm. Breast, the owner's manual. Uh, nice. <laughs> and she, uh, she's an amazing uh, surgeon and researcher out of, uh, I don't want to say it wrong, but LA. And she was um, Angelina Jolie's surgeon, she had a Crow's surgeon, actually. And she's okay. been on the Doctors and Dr. Oz and the Day Show recently. And I think because it was Breast Cancer Month in November. And my dad's presenting. My mom and I are doing a demo. My sister-in-law, who's an OBGYN, mm-hmm. is presenting about how she is. It's a really tr- sort of a traditional branch of medicine, you know, being an OBGYN stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over the years, she has had more and more change of her mind. She's like, every single thing people come in to talk about, I want to talk about is plants. I want to mm-hmm. get pregnant. They want to lose weight. They want to, their hair, their skin, their, their breast health, their, their uterine health, their ovarian health, their, you know, they have a cancer diagnosis. They have a high blood pressure diagnosis. They have whatever it is, fibroid, get out there, UTIs, stop chicken, like mm-hmm. all these things. She's just da, 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 all about plants. Talk about the hurdles and the challenges of going through a whole food plant-based diet with uh, Brian Hart as well. So that's coming up March 7th. And what I'm really excited about is Well Now. Mm-hmm. Well Now. Well Now. <laughs> well Now. Well Now. <laughs> it's a camp. And it's um, June 4th to 7th at Kenyon College campus in Gambier, Ohio, mm-hmm. near Columbus. It's for plant-based women warriors or anybody who wants to try to eat plant-based for a couple of days. We don't sit on our bums having lecture time. We mm-hmm. have camp. Mm-hmm. It's full of activities. We've got arts and crafts, improv, dance, creative writing, talent show, evening entertainment, cooking presentations, and it's just it's camp. Hikes, swimming parties. Oh, so great! It's camp. It's camp. It's just camp, and it was a blast last year. Um, We are happy, so excited to do it again. And the women who came were fantastic. Oh, so great. And we, ha- I, we have, we always do workshops like wrapping your head, heart and hands around plant-based eating. We do those like every April and July and October, November-ish. And there's just a lot. And I've, my last kid's going to college. So I've got lots going on, but um, oh my gosh. And the Esselstyn Foundation, which is an, um, a public charity that our family has around trying to get the message of a whole food plant-based diet out, out, out of the bubble, out yeah. of just the bubble of people who've heard about it and know about it and they can afford it. We want to really get it out to influencers and, and people who interface with families or populations or churches or schools or something where a whole food based diet could be helpful. We've done it with the Cuyahoga County Board of Health recently. Ooh. That's what I'm talking about because you grew up in Cuyahoga County. I did. We have all these community health educators who are going to go out and be able, to, be able to talk about and present this as an option in parts of Cleveland that would not always get this message. So in the next few months, we're presenting in Pittsburgh and Tennessee and Gadsden, Alabama, which is the third unhealthiest city in the country. Oh. And, um, a couple other places. So we just, so the Esselstyn Foundation is really exciting because we want to be able to get the message to people who can't always – if if it's a hurdle um, around getting the information for financial reason, reasons, we want to just eliminate that. Yeah. And people have been so beautifully supportive. It's been exciting. Oh, great. Great. What wonderful work. Well, you got wonderful work there too. Gosh. <laughs> we were talking a little bit about it. Well, I've come a long way from being your, from having you as my high school health teacher, <laughs> which really like, you know, I tell you probably every five years how meeting you felt like now I had a way to grow up in the world. It's still true. Thank you for saying that. It's still true. I didn't know which way I was growing then, but that's happy. That's nice. <laughs> Makes me happy. 
Yay. Makes me happy too. So Jane, any last thoughts or any last things you want to get across to our audience today, to our listeners about whole foods, plant-based eating? I think that there's no harm in trying it. You're going to eat anyway. Give it a go. Give it a try. And if you're already doing it, carry on. Onward with plants. Onward with each other. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Jane Esselstyn, nurse, educator, researcher. Um, we didn't even get into your middle school sex ed stuff. Enough is enough. It's been so great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so we've got lots of ways to continue this conversation through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at centerforhealingneurology.com, or you can come see us in our Seattle-based clinic. Uh, be sure to share this show with your friends, and we welcome your ratings and review wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to send topic requests to podcast at centerforhealingneurology.com. We love that you've all joined us today to discuss how to make your whole world, our whole world medicinal. We rise or fall together and we're committed to doing what we can to make as many of us as healthy as possible. And this takes all of us, including you. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliot Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.